With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Brooks Cabina. You can find me at BKUBENA. I'm joined again by Houston Chronicle sports columnist Brian T. Smith. And you can find him on Twitter at Cron Brian Smith. We are just over a week away from the NFL draft. And uh, on Thursday, we'll be talking to Nick Casario ahead of the draft. There are lots of needs for this Texans team, which we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. Uh, But now they're going to get even closer towards that time in Vegas where they will be taking either the third pick or the 13th pick or maybe even trading a few as they have 11 total going into the draft. So, Brian, a week and a half, a week and a half about before the draft. Uh, I mean, we've we've talked about some of their needs and the overall thoughts about this team. We've talked about some of their needs and such, but is there a sense that we've kind of anything that anything that uh, I mean, fans have been seeing with these two top 13 picks um, that uh, has engineered any extra excitement towards this draft than in the past? Not, not really, Brooks. And I'm actually, I've actually been surprised. Um, it is number three, right? It's, it's not right. number 27. It's not number 32. It's number three. And I just, I don't know if it's just the overall state of the Texans. Uh, I mean, they have a new coach. Nick Casario is obviously very intelligent. Theoretically, eventually, he will put this together. I don't know why there hasn't been the buzz for number three. You're you're two away from one. And I go back to 2014, and I was covering that with with McLean uh, as a beat writer. And that was huge. Now, now granted, the, the Texans were a team that really had taken over Houston in 2011 and 2012, and the Astros were down. And the Rockets, had, they had hardened by 2014, but in 2011, 2012, for the majority of those seasons, they did not. But I don't understand why there hasn't been that buzz. I mean, I see it a little on Twitter. I hear it on talk radio, primarily on one station, and obviously in the Chronicle. But that's about it. And I, I, maybe because it, there's not a quarterback at three that they're you know theoretically going to take. Maybe because a lot of the talk has rightfully been about offensive line and there's there's nothing super alluring going into the draft about offensive linemen. But then the second you get him and you, you put him in your your, you know, week one lineup and, you know, he's there for the next 10 years. That could be a fantastic pick. But this can't compare to 2014. Part of that, I guess, was Johnny Manziel. Part of that was Jeremy and Clowney. But it's been interesting watching this play out. I was look. I'm still really, really looking forward to Thursday. I love the NFL draft. I'm very intrigued to see what Casario does with three and 13, but maybe it's going to take them taking somebody like, you know, Trevon Walker and, and you see that power and that presence and, you know, or maybe something, it it takes something exciting and crazy to happen to really get fans locally fired up. It is silly season. I, for the first time, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Aiden Hutchinson's name has started to fall to like number two and some of the, right. the national national mocks. And that almost that happens almost every year. Like it's not a mock if the quote unquote guaranteed number one doesn't fall to number two or three 
in the mock before the week before the draft. So we're in we're in prime silly mock season right now. I'm really excited about next Thursday. I'm waiting for Texans fans to get excited about next Thursday. Yeah, it's we're in that sweet spot within uh, the time everybody's produced about five different mock drafts, and then you're moving them around. But also there is. I mean, people are talking to different franchises, different representations. This is kind of the time where sure. everybody starts to uh, throw out a little bit of talk sometimes. To uh, You don't want everybody to know where you're picking. Um, and this is also kind of the time where people are trying to find things to talk about, too. And last week, the um, Texans came in to the beginning of their offseason voluntary workouts, uh, the beginning as they're stretched towards OTAs. We got a chance to talk to a couple of players. Uh, also some coaches. And then last week, uh, the Texans announced a partnership with Texas Southern University. They honored Lovey Smith, who is the second full-time black head coach in the franchise history. Romeo Crennel also was an interim coach after the firing of Bill O'Brien. Um, and they also announced this partnership between uh, the two organizations that will support uh, five scholarships to uh, women athletes at Texas Southern, among other supports for Texas Southern. But um, there was uh, significance there because the entire Texans organization, it seemed like they were there, um, including most of the coaches, um, including offense coordinator Pep Hamilton and quarterbacks coach Ted White. And the Texans, they were poised to hire Josh McCown, but they moved and pivoted towards Lovey Smith. And now they have 12 black coaches on the staff, which is the most in the National Football League. And Pep Hamilton, I think, is an interesting uh, offensive coordinator because I think a lot of Texans fans remember he was the offensive coordinator for the Colts for three years and never lost to the Texans as a play caller. Um, used to be Stanford's offensive coordinator. Used to be um, uh, coaching Andrew Luck there as well and then uh, coached him again with the Colts. And we wrote a story about Pep Hamilton on Sunday. He represents uh, not only another chance for offensive coordinator for himself, but a lot of his colleagues and coaches who have worked with him uh, have pointed toward the difficulties in a problematic pipeline where there has not been enough diversity over the years. And it's most significant and blatant in the offensive side, which is partly why the NFL has changed the rules to um, make every NFL team carry a minority on as an offensive assistant. And the Texans far exceed that. Uh, Pep Hamilton's up to offensive coordinator now, and Ted White joining from Grambling State. And at Grambling State, the head coach is Hugh Jackson, one of the few coaches um, in the NFL, but also one of the few minorities who was an offensive coordinator three times uh, before he became a head coach twice. And he hired Pep Hamilton in 2016 after Pep Hamilton was fired by the Colts. And I thought this was interesting because whenever I spoke with Pep Hamilton about this, I said, well, what do you think of your second chance to be a play caller in the NFL? And that if you look at his resume, that's what it seems. Um, and he corrected me. He said, well, actually, it's my third time. And when I was talking to Hugh Jackson, he said that he knows that how hard it is for anybody really to get a second chance, much less a third, and especially more if you're a minority. And whenever he scooped up Pep Hamilton after the Colts, he protected him by not giving him the offensive coordinator title um, because he knew the massive state of the rebuild the Browns were in. Um, I think anybody that was paying attention to that era, it's one of the most 
disastrous and dysfunctional three years by any franchise in the NFL's history. And they were one in 15. Um, they had 19 rookies at one point on the active roster. Uh, they rotated between Josh McCown and two other backup quarterbacks. And uh, the next year they went to 0 16. And towards the end of the third, they fired Hugh Jackson eventually. But uh, Pep Hamilton had a tag team relationship with Hugh Jackson calling plays. There were a couple of stories from that time where it said that Hugh Jackson got irritated about the state of the defense and he'd shift over and then Pep would call the plays for the remainder of the game. But it was really unbeknownst to the public how much Hamilton's relationship was as a play caller in Cleveland, which I found interesting toward his career arc and also the situation and towards the reality of the difficulties um, minorities faced as play callers. So um, he then went to Michigan, rejoined uh, John uh, Jim Harbaugh, who he coached with at Stanford. And then just a couple of years in the XFL, which was really a fun time to watch uh, in football. Now we have the USFL back and uh, really him as a quarterback teacher ended up getting him back on David Cauley's staff. So now he's back with the Texans. And the interesting thing to me is, is that this is not exactly as dysfunctional as the Browns, at least not this year. Um, but there is a talent gap between them and the rest of the NFL. And this is fully Pep Hamilton's title, fully his to call. And I'm interested to see whether and how much his philosophy is adapted over time and whether he can find and make the most out of Davis Mills, who was doing well towards the end of the year and why Lovey Smith said that he wanted to retain him. So a lot of things go into this, Brian, when we're talking about Pep Hamilton as an offensive coordinator and we think about how even how few play callers there have been in the Texans history itself. I mean, there's a lot here for Hamilton. What do you expect and what do you think uh, is there available to him? And I think one of the major questions is, is how do you appropriately grade someone's performance when you're in the state that the franchise is? Does he need to have a top 10 offense? Does Mills need to perform to an elite level? Do they need to be in the playoffs? How do we grade how well Pep Hamilton is as a play caller? Because we saw a lot last year how the problems were and uh, is there really that much patience in the NFL? There's not any patience in the NFL. I think we can uh, we can break it down a billion ways, but it it normally comes down to the regime. It comes down to the front office. It comes down to whether the GM and the owner and the head coach and the OC and the quarterback and the star players and the better you know et cetera et cetera are are ultimately on the same page or off of the same page. You can go left. You can go right. You can rightfully discuss the race issue but ultimately for the most part it usually comes down to winning still in the nfl and it's not like pep hamilton is going to be given a five-year runway it's not like davis mills is going to be given a three-year runway it's not like nick casario i mean he knows that nick casario knows that the moment that he chose to put his name on the david cully hire back david cully and then fire david cully within this basically the same year the spotlight went on Nick Casario. So Nick Casario has time. Jack Easterby still has some time. Cal McNair thus far has not at all, at all been a, a demanding, overly hands-on owner. But Pep Hamilton's tenure with the Texans will, will ultimately should be defined just like any offensive coordinator tenure. I actually think it's silly to get boggled down in a hundred different things and, and even mention talking about the playoffs. I mean, Pep Hamilton needs to get the best out of this offense, number one. 
uh, and Davis Mills, number two. And then if he doesn't believe that Davis Mills is the answer midway through the season, during training camp, after the season, they have to move on from Davis Mills. And that, that'll be interesting to see if that happens, how Pep handles that. I mean, Lovey Smith is defensive coach, so Pep Hamilton is going to be the offensive answer for this team. It'll be Pep Hamilton, a little Brandon Cook, some running, and Davis Mills. And they're going to try to put that together. But ultimately, this is a 4-13 and team that will try to get to seven wins, eight wins. I don't see him getting above 500 next year. So I also don't see them moving on from Pep after one year with Lovey Smith as a head coach after everything they just went through. So Lovey's probably got two years at the least. Pep's got two years at the least. Davis Mills is, is a walking question mark in a good and a bad way. But ultimately, I believe Pep will be graded by what he does on the field, putting together this offense. And yes, he does need better weapons. But the, the great offensive minds can usually make it work with lesser weapons until they get the great weapons. Yeah, I think what you have to see this year from the Texans is last year, it was the most point differential that they had in their entire franchise history. I mean, they were getting blown out in games and the offense would look just stagnant for most of the season. And as long as it's not as pathetic as that. I think it's at least an improvement. And I think when you were talking about this, you bring up this point, they're probably going to be in the forward 13 range again this year. It would be surprising for them to reach as much as 500. So in our recent mock draft on Sunday, there was a situation I wanted to mull through is like if the quarterback run begins with the Panthers, with the Falcons, with the Seahawks, whomever, and say that the Texans have their pick of the best wide receivers available at 13 whether yeah. that be you know, Drake London, whether it be Jamison Williams or anyone. I think there's an argument to made, no, that if, if they pick Ike McQuanu or Evan Neal at number three as an offensive lineman, that they give another weapon at wide receiver to pair with Brandon Cooks to invest again in Davis Mills to figure out whether he's their long-term option, whether Pep Hamilton is their long-term option as offensive coordinator. They know how they feel about the defense because Levy Smith is their head coach and they retained most of the people from last year, most of those people were on the defensive side. And I think whenever you're going to be bad, or at least have the expectation to be bad, it's going to be a long haul to build that up anyway. You need to be able to solve some of your most pressing questions. And I think they're mostly on the offensive end. And I mean, is it ridiculous to think that they might go offense twice? They could go offense twice. I think it's a little ridiculous to- <laughs> To, to think that the Texans at this point need to draft based off position or based off of need. Now, quarterback is mm-hmm. a different situation, right? You're not, you're not, you're, you're not going to reach at three and take, I mean, maybe Nick Casario blow our minds and take Malik Willis or, or Kenny Pickett at three, but 99.999% that's not happening. Uh, 13 would make a little more sense, and, and we all know that's probably not happening as well. But no, if I, I completely disagree. If I am Nick Casario, I am taking – like there is no other way to discuss it. I am taking the best available player short term and long term you're projecting because you have to believe that you're going to turn this around and in 2 years you'll be better and in 3 years you'll be above 500 and in 4 years you will be in the AFC divisional round if not faster. And so I am not taking an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman or a cornerback or a wide receiver uh, specifically wide receiver, because I I want to better evaluate Davis Mills. Like, that is not how GMs operate if they're successful GMs. You are taking the best available player 
at that position on your board because you need talent on offense and you need talent on defense and you need talent on your sideline and at, at your backup positions. I'm not doing anything other than taking the best available player that I believe in in terms of brain space, in terms of athleticism, in terms of culture, in terms of their love for the game. That's it. I'm not doing anything to say I'm taking a wide receiver here because I need to better evaluate Pep Hamilton or the offense or make the offense a little better. If there's a defensive player and that guy's going to kick bleep in three to five years in the NFL and be a pro bowler in seven years, I'm taking that guy into conversation. And I think when you look at the draft board for the Texans, if we had the chance to do that, which would be great, um, that you would see a lot of rankings, a lot of places where they have evaluated a lot of these players. And I think one of the things that we haven't talked too much about is how much are the Texans willing to trade up possibly in the first round or yeah. the second. They have 11 picks. And what we do know about Nick Casario as a GM from our one sample size as a full-time um, executive in that role with the Texans is last year he had more picks than he did at the end when he traded up to get a player like Nico Collins. Does there a situation when you have 13 if they say, okay, you know what, the Panthers went this way, the Falcons went this way, and the Seahawks are at nine, and you know maybe we need to jump to 10, 11, 12, or whoever. They have 11 picks. Maybe they are in a situation where they'll trade up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I wouldn't either. And, and now, they're not going to trade up for Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, but you know the, the trade that jump-started this franchise and, and really took them to another level very quickly was in 2017 when they leaped up. But they also followed Kansas City. And that, that, that is yeah. what has happened in the last few years in this draft. And it doesn't just have to be about quarterback. It can be wide receiver. It can be offensive lineman. It can be defensive lineman. Uh, let's say you get, like, let's say that they get their player at three. And whether it's an offensive lineman or it's Walker or, you know, whatever, they get their player at three. But you're sitting at 13. And as you just said, They've got all these other picks, and you've got future picks and future first rounders. I this is this is where, and I, I've written this, you know, in the last couple of months. This is where Nick Casario starts to prove himself. This is where Nick Casario has to outthink and outmaneuver because, to one of your recent points and my follow-up point, it's not just going to be one player. You know, it, you've got so many things that you have to improve and. Ultimately, it's going to come down to depth. I mean, you're going to draft somebody that you believe in in the second round, and they're probably they're never going to play for you. Uh, they're, they're going to have off the field issues. They're going to have a they're going to blow out their knee in their second year. That's what happens in the NFL. So if I'm Nick Casario, I have to be as on it, as willing to 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 move and deal and jump up as possible to improve the talent in this roster, because if we're going to connect this to Pep Hamilton, Davis Mills, and Lovey Smith, on and on and on, ultimately, the Texans just don't have enough talent, even close to it. This is the draft, Brooks, where it has to change. This has to be the draft that we look back in five years and say, you know what? They traded Deshaun Watson. They, they almost screwed it up with Josh McCown. They hired Lovey Smith. They got Pep Hamilton. They gave Davis Mills a shot, and it was in the 2022 draft that the Texans really started to change. This, this, this should be the time. And Nick, Nick Casario should, without question, be willing to package and move up or move backward or end up with a number one pick next year, uh, whatever it's going to take to improve this roster from top to bottom. Yeah, and I think also when you look at the fullness of their picks, 
take uh, they have three sixth round picks. They've got one from the Packers, one from the 49ers. They have a seventh from Dallas in a trade. We've seen Nick Casario um, move those kind of picks too to move up into the mid rounds. I I think we can remember last year. I remember Nick Casario. We asked him about this because he brought in Anthony Miller from the Bears in a trade, um, and then eventually cut him a couple of weeks into the season. And really the rationale behind that, what Casario was saying, he's, he said that he's willing to part with those later round picks yeah. if it means getting someone in the building that he likes and to see whether that pans out. I mean, if you look at the statistics for how much sixth round picks, seventh round picks, even fifth round picks end up being starters or longtime starters in the NFL, it'll be obviously much less than the earlier rounds. So I almost wonder if this is another situation where we'll see them deal the back end and basically not draft in the back end to get maybe another third or fourth to package in other picks. I wonder how active uh, Casario will be trading around in this. And uh, I I know that, you know, in this three day enterprise of covering the NFL draft, there's not going to be a time where I'm going to be like, Oh, you know, I'm going to go take a break, eat a hot dog, do whatever. And uh, because I think they might be able to jump back in at any time. So that'll be really interesting to see how the Texans do it. We'll have more, coverage in that as we get closer to the NFL draft again later this week we'll be talking to Casario who preview the Texans draft the second for him on his tenure as a general manager and we'll have more coverage there on the Chronicle you can follow us on Twitter as well you can see me at B-K-U-B-E-N-A you can follow me on Twitter at Cron Brian Smith I'm not sure if anyone's going to make it this far but I think we'll give away a sequel next week McLean is uh well, he's still he's still retired, but he's going to be writing for the Chronicle again, or later this later this week, or something like that. Uh, you, you can't you can't keep him off of Twitter. That's right. Uh, you're, he, he's going to be doing a lot of uh, draft coverage uh, that will be in the Chronicle. I think there's probably a lifetime deal in there. If he wants to send something in, I think it'll always get put in. I don't think you can say no to the guy after 47 years. So he's back, and we'll be back <laughs> next week to be talking more. So. Appreciate you guys always tuning in, reading, and watching. 